What's up everybody? Um, I'm excited about today's episode because we're gonna go over what kin stretch is, what you know joint health is, and what true flexibility really is. Um, I decided to do this because I actually had someone reach out to me on Instagram and you know they were mentioning how I post a lot on mobility, movement, um, hip mobility exercises, and things like that. And I was like, you know what, I feel like I probably have enough content where I could put together a compilation of everything. And I was kind of looking through all my old episodes and I found three in particular where they really address um, this question of what mobility work is. And I think a lot of people kind of mistake that kin stretch what I do, what I promote is just a flexibility practice. But in reality, when you look at it and you, you know, take the courses and you read into what Dr. Andrew Spina uh, puts out there, you quickly realize that not only are you working on your flexibility and mobility, but you're also creating um, cross-sectional um, muscle adaptation at your joint capsule, which then allows you to take on more um, loads. So if I can create an internal load in my body where I can adapt to it constantly, that can translate to me doing, and I'm going to be posting this pretty soon, a video of me doing a 300 pound hip thrust where, you know, my hip capsule itself and all the joints involved are used to taking high loads by constantly adapting to them. And now I go into a more active, um, environment like a hip thrust, a back squat, a deadlift, me sprinting, me playing football, me throwing a baseball, and all my joints that are involved in those activities have adapted to such, you know, consistent loads that I'm able to produce more force, more strength, and the more I can do kin stretch and combine it with what I'm doing currently in the gym, then I get to my goals a lot faster and on top of that, move better. You know, kin stretch allows you to create an environment where your body can adapt very quickly and solve those movement riddles as Dewey would always say um, in life. Because if I slip on grass while I'm trying to, you know, recover my water bottle falling down to the average person, they might slip and pull something. But for me, possibly, I might fall and, you know, whatever, but I don't hurt anything because I've adapted my body into a position where I can fully, you know, do something or react to something. And if I do fall or place a joint in a vulnerable position, I've trained my tendons and connective tissues to take on load that when I do fall, they're like, oh, I got this. I know exactly what to do. So these three videos I recorded, um, one was two years ago and then the other two were a year ago. And they still hold very true to what I preach right now. And, you know, maybe this little intro is kind of the, you know, add-on to what kin stretch is, really is. And I think a lot of people, when we go down that path of like, oh, they don't think it's going to improve their strength or improve their performance in the gym, I beg to differ because I've seen a lot of kin stretch instructors taking the information that were provided in the courses and taking it to the next level where I'm just like, holy crap, I can't believe you can do that. And I decided to do one of these things where I wanted to self-experiment where 
I did a post on this probably a year ago, two years ago, where I actually stopped strength, strength training, traditional strength stuff for, I think it was a good six months, but I did kin stretch six, no, yeah, five days a week consistently. And I was like, okay, well, let's see if I can create that neural drive to do something as um, taxing as like a deadlift. And, you know, Again, my deadlift numbers are not the greatest in the world. And, you know, I can deadlift 300, like, comfortably. And I stopped deadlifting for six six months, and all I did was kin stretch. And I'm like, well, let's put this to the test, see if I actually have adapted my tendons and um, soft tissues to take on that load. And I'm pretty impressed that, you know, I was within 10 to 12% of one my, my one rep max trying my deadlift out. And that, to me, was like, holy crap. And, like... That doesn't even factor in like how I slept the night before, how my uh, nutrition was, how my hydration was, and all those little things that, you know, influence a one rep max. But here, 10 to 12%, like that's pretty impressive. And not to see strength gains lose or anything like that. And even from like an aesthetic look, like I actually leaned out a little bit more and like there's some cool things that Ken Stretch can do. So it's one of my biggest things that I incorporate with clients right now and, and like not even specifically that they come to me for kin stretch like I still have clients that come to me for strength weight loss whatever it is but I will sprinkle in kin stretch principles into their strength programs and those are the usually the hardest things for them and they're like holy crap why is this so difficult so I'm gonna stop rambling because I can probably go for like 30 minutes on this topic and let my previous episodes speak for themselves so here we go What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Machuszewski, and we are doing another whiteboard session here today. And hopefully you guys have been enjoying this. I've been getting a lot more people watching these on YouTube, so I think I might start producing like a YouTube show and kind of venture into that way. But um, before we get into our topic of controlled articular rotations... We need to do some shout-outs, and I am prepared this time. Number one, all the way in Tennessee, a city named Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I apologize if I don't. Number two, all the way in California, the city of Anaheim. So pumped to see this city on my top three because... Disneyland is in Anaheim. I fucking love Disneyland. I am so sad to see that Disneyland has been closed for eight months now. And, you know, I've been recently watching uh, Magic Journeys. If you don't know who they are, they're a foodie vlog that these this couple goes into Disneyland and eats all their food and reviews it. Um, they just opened Buena Vista Street in... Uh, Disney's California Adventure and just seeing the cast members coming back to work finally like it's it, it, it's just a moving experience to see people finally get their livelihood back and kind of get back onto their feet and it just reminds me that you know where I am here in BC uh, Vancouver Canada um we're I'm really really fortunate to still be working like things didn't really shut down to such a huge extreme who knows maybe it will 
but you know there's a lot of people in California I know that their gym has been closed for eight months and you know they're ba- barely making it by so where am I where am I going with this just be appreciative of what you have in your life um, and number three all the way out in the UK a city named Weybridge shout out to everyone in Weybridge listening to my show okay we are going to talk about controlled articular rotation so you know I have been following functional anatomy set of us can't speak functional anatomy seminars for a while now probably since 2016 and in 2018, I got certified through the FRC, which is functional range conditioning, which is kind of like the entry level to um, that whole FRS system. And Dr. Andrew Espina, the creator, coined this term of controlled articular rotations, which is basically a fancy way of saying moving your joint the way it's designed. And I thought it was a brilliant way to incorporate movement at each single joint the way it's designed to do so and not just like oh I'm just doing arm circles like this is not a controlled articular rotation and if you've been following for a while I've been doing a lot of movement based stuff because in my head it just makes sense you know like before I got introduced to um, Andrew Spina's work it was more so like just move be functional move 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 but not understanding that every single joint has the ability to move in so many different motions and if you don't use it you'll lose it right so <clears throat> I kind of want to go over um, controlled articular rotations in depth and essentially what it is is like if you look at the design of our joints they're designed to move and if you think about it if something in our body is designed to do something and we choose not to do anything with it you would think that our bodies would probably like realize that and go, you know what? Maybe because you haven't been using it, we need to get rid of it or take away that ability. And that's essentially what happens. So if I have a dude that I'm training, I always bring this example up, Steve the accountant that sits at 90 degrees with his hips, pelvis tucked under, shoulders rolled forward, in this position, eight to 10 hours, Monday to Friday, gets into a car, same position, gets onto the couch, gets onto the dinner table, whatever it is, those hips have probably adapted to that stress because whatever we do every single day is stress. It's probably adapted to that. And your body goes, well, you haven't moved your hips past 90 degrees of flexion. Let's just make you more efficient at it and keep you there. So when Steve decides to go to the gym and do some squats, he feels stuck, he might feel pinching, he might feel whatever in his hips that doesn't feel smooth. It doesn't feel like butter. It just There's some like pops, cracks, creaks, and stuff like that. So this whole idea of moving every single joint the way it's designed, like lit a light bulb in my head. I'm like, well, if someone can't move their elbow the way it's designed due to whatever it is, then things like push-ups, pull-ups, rows, like anything the elbow does or influences probably is not a good idea to now load it, 
right? And I want to kind of do a visual here. So for those who are listening, highly recommend you click the link in your show notes to watch this. So what I put here on a board, I know I am not an artist. Essentially, this is gonna be your glenohumeral joint, so in your shoulder. So if you look at any kind of joint, especially the um, hip and shoulder, it is a ball and socket joint. So this like C over here is your socket, and then this little bulb thing is the ball. And then this would be your humerus, right? So if I was literally trying to demonstrate what this looks like on a human body, this is my right shoulder here. Literally ball and socket. So the humerus that has this little ball here, let's shave this out so then you understand that this is bone. The shoulder can do so many things, and I wish I was a way to do a 3D model, but you know, right now it's like hovering inflection, but my arm can go all the way up to full flexion overhead. It can go down by my, uh, by my leg here, but my shoulder can also go pretty far into extension, right? And then if you had to think of a 3D model here, if this was my arm, I can go also to abduction this way. I can also go to adduction into the middle. So for those who people, for those who don't know um, those words, so flexion means this, going above the head, extension means going behind, adduction is into the center because I'm adding, abduction is I'm going away. So my shoulder is able to do that. So what is necessary in order for this shoulder uh, to do, and another thing too, which is kind of hard to see, but like say this is my shoulder here, my shoulder is also able to do axial rotations between internal and external rotation, right? And like my shoulder just popped a bunch. And in order to do that, all the stuff between the ball and socket, this stuff needs to be, you know, in prime condition. How do you do that? Anytime I move my arm into different planes of motion, I am lathering, like think of like slapping on some freaking maple syrup on fucking pancakes in the morning. I'm lathering up this whole area with synovial fluid. And that's what gives the um, shoulder this like slide and glide type of feel in movements that I do every day in the gym, whatever it is. And then it also sends nutrients to the joint itself, right? So the more I do that, it builds the integrity of the joint. And the way I like to describe this so people kind of get it is that feeling where say you were flossing your teeth and you were doing that regularly like every single night like you're supposed to your teeth integrity improves. Your gums become healthier because you're taking out all the shit that's 
built up in there from your day of drinking coffee and eating whatever, and then you decide to eat a freaking media steak, like all that stuff is getting um, get rid of so it doesn't cause any kind of inflammation or any kind of um, any kind of issues in your gum. So similar to flossing your teeth, you moving your joints the way they're designed is the ability for you to floss your joints, right? It's just like good hygiene, like you're practicing joint hygiene. And another good example that I go back to the teeth is like, imagine that I only use my shoulder for going onto my phone, going onto my laptop, and then grabbing something out of the cupboard. I have now made those three planes of motion um, for my shoulder really efficient. But say now I need to like, as I'm driving, go grab something behind. Now I'm taking my shoulder into like internal rotation and ex, um, extension to grab something behind. And then people end up like feeling pain in their anterior shoulder. They feel tightness through their neck. They might've pulled something because you don't train back here and your body doesn't know how to control it anymore. It's taken that ability away from you. And as I get people learning how to do shoulder cars, and for those people watching who doesn't understand what I'm talking about, so well, step one, control articular rotations is one way to abbreviate it is I literally, like a motor vehicle, cars. So now we know cars is an abbreviation. If I take my hand by my side, hopefully you can see this, as I come into flexion, I get into my end range. Here I start rotating my hand around and behind, so I'm going to like abduction and going into um, extension with my arm. I come down to my side and I reverse that. And as I do this, the one thing you'll notice is that nothing else in my body compensated for it. So a lot of times when I teach cars for the first time, especially the shoulder, a lot of people will come up here, the elbow breaks, they start shrugging, they start rotating, the whole shoulder comes up towards their ear and they're like, hey, what the hell's going on? And they do one of these things and like their hand can't like rotate over, their fingers are all weird and like elbows bent and they just look like this disfigured thing and they don't really understand how their shoulder's supposed to move, right? So when I see that, I'm like, and you go to the gym and load the fuck out of your shoulder by doing an overhead press when I ask you just to move your shoulder through the ranges of motion that it's designed to do and you can't even like control um, that limb and get the feedback necessary in order to do the simple little motion, right? Like it's like mind boggling, right? And then you wonder why people injure themselves. Um, so the one thing when I give shoulder cards for the first time to people and they're kind of like all over the place, there might be pain, um, I kind of go back to that reference of, you know, flossing your gums. Um, a lot of times when you get people flossing for the first time or you start flossing again because you haven't done it in months, you end up, you know, getting like a little like bloody in the gums and you're like fuck this sucks like i need to keep doing this and it's kind of like doing shoulder cards for the first time ever like you know it's gonna suck it's gonna feel weird it's gonna feel tight you're like why the hell is my shoulder not moving the way it should right um so that's kind of like the parallel that i give people 
So if we know that the glenohumeral humeral joint can do all these motions and we have no ability to control it and that's where a lot of times injury happens in environments where we can't control it so going back to the whole oh i'm driving my phone out of my pocket fell underneath my seat and now i have to go down and go grab it behind like this is where most likely everyone's going to get injured so if I could teach somebody how to utilize their shoulder by teaching them um, all the movements it's responsible for and get them really efficient at it, most likely, you know, that shoulder is going to stay healthy. Most likely, it's not going to get injured. Most likely, it's going to do influence other movements, right? So if you remember, maybe it was my first video that I filmed, I was talking about the whole joint by joint approach. And, you know, it's a good basis to start with. It's not the end all be all. It makes sense. But, you know, the shoulder needs to be mobile and stable at the same time. If we remember the last video, I was talking about tension and safety. Stability is safety. If I can control my arm around and behind to grab something, I am one, needing mobility to get there. Two, I need stability to hold that position to grab whatever my cell phone, freaking whatever I fell onto the ground while I'm driving to safely come back and not F up anything else. So I find a lot of times when I see people moving terribly through shoulder cars, then, you know, that just paints a picture of what's going to happen in a workout. And, you know, when we look at cars and essentially you can do everything from the neck all the way down to your toes. And then when you start looking at the body and any one of these things between your neck and to your toes, if any of those things in between don't move the way they should, something else is going to compensate. So now let's look at, let's go down the chain. Let's say my shoulder doesn't move the way it should when I do my shoulder car and somebody starts getting medial elbow pain or lateral elbow pain and this is where a lot of times I will just use a shoulder car as an assessment tool because if I ask someone to go through ranges of motion that their shoulder should do and there is a break in um, the movement or there's some sort of discrepancy from left to right then most likely the cult, next culprit is gonna probably be the elbow. And I can already see is when people come up into their shoulder car, they break at the elbow because the shoulder doesn't have that range to give them full elbow extension while doing stuff through here. So now people are gonna build up elbow pain. And when you get elbow pain, it is a bitch when you go to the gym because think about everything you do. You have to grip and you gripping is going to turn on that lateral stuff around the elbow. 
which again goes back to like if I had a good base with um, my shoulder, then the elbow wouldn't have to pick up the slack. Now, how do we use cars? So there's something called the morning routine. And essentially what we do is move every single joint. Like I'll do three repetitions, like super quick from my neck down to my toes. So let's literally, uh, let's write all this in. My neck, my T-spine, uh, my scaps, shoulder, elbow, wrists, hips, um, knees, ankles, and then toes. Yeah, so I covered everything. And you know what? I'm going to do one of these and go with the spine. So, when we move every single one of these from your neck down to your toes through every motion that is designed to do most likely over time all this stuff is probably going to move and feel better now there's this term called workspace if we go back to my shoulder um, example the glenohumeral joint and we go back to that person that I see in the clinic, gym, or whatever, and their shoulder car looks like this. Like, just a fucking disaster dumpster fire of shit. Their workspace is this. This is their workspace. This is what they're all able to do at that moment. What we're trying to achieve by utilizing cars is to increase the available workspace. So if I know this is all I have to work with, I have a lot of work to do. So finding a suitable range of motion without any compensation, because I find that a lot of times when I get people doing shoulder cars, just like every other exercise, they're trying to push themselves to the limit and it's like, no. If I'm constantly getting you to do this kind of shoulder car, it's not gonna benefit you at all. So where I find, um, the best kind of result to see the improvement of doing any kind of car is finding those tight spots as feedback and creating kind of a buffer zone around it. So say the same person, I have them coming up to their shoulder car and like say around here is when I see that elbow break and a little hike, I take like an inch away and that's their full range that they can control, no problem. And say they're coming out to the side and they're trying to get higher, but this happens, then I'm like, all right, let's hang out here. And then we rotate and that looks a lot better. Just because, you know, before they were up here, doesn't mean that's necessarily any better. If I can get them here in a full controlled pattern, that workspace is going to now influence a little bit more quality. So a lot of times it's just like that disconnect of the brain and muscles involved in all these motions don't really understand each other just yet. So if I can get someone moving through space and time in a more 
I wouldn't say like better form or better posture. It's just it just looks a lot nicer than this stuff. Um, that's going to influence a little bit better movement and it's going to not go back into those, you know, compensational patterns that I see a lot. And it's going to kind of reteach that nervous system of how to control that movement. And, you know, a lot of times when people do this like daily, so this morning routine that we've written down right here, if people just did three repetitions of every single car, and I think for the next video, I'll do like a full on um, morning routine breakdown, how to do all this stuff, which I think will be super helpful. So all my listeners are gonna have to watch the video. Or, you know, again, you could listen. I can be very descriptive how I uh, break this down. Um, if you did three repetitions, and I remember filming myself and doing a post like two years ago, um, literally all of this will take five minutes. So now if I tell people, you know, five minutes, oh man, that was a terrible five. But you know what? It's not my fault. I cut my finger yesterday, and the Band-Aid is literally where... Seriously, I can't even write a five. Five minutes a day um, will definitely improve the quality of movement or just the integrity of the joint itself. Now, say someone's been doing their cars religiously every single day, day in, day out, it's been months, and say their movement hasn't improved. Most of the time, there's a larger, you know, elephant in a room that needs to be addressed. And a lot of times, um, this is where things like pails and rails come into play. So I didn't think I was gonna go down this route, but here we are. So, pails. And rails. So another abbreviation within the FRS community, and essentially what we have here is a progressive angular isometric loading, and then just like pails, rails is opposite is regressive angular isometric loading. What the fuck does that mean? Spina has the saying that Force is the language of the cells. So our muscle cells, they don't have a brain to like determine what they're going to do. They need to be influenced of what they do. So if I am Steve, the accountant, sitting at his desk all day, those muscle cells that are responsible for doing whatever, you are now giving them information that I want you to be dumb tissue and lay down fucking tightness in my hips because I don't use them. And if I do that every single day, I'm just like furthering the layers on top of each other of tightness. And this is why cars tend to not fix mobility, like flexibility issues. It just improves the joints quality that could allow you to open up new range of motion. Now with pails and rails, if I can influence the muscle cells to become more resilient and lay off that emergency e-brake type of feeling on our muscles, 
that's where true change comes from. So say I do pails and rails now every single day, coupled with my um, cars routine for the morning routine. Now I'm getting into something where we get into like a kin stretch, um, what's that called? Pr not principle, but methodology, where I personally believe kin stretch is one of those one of the best practices to increase your mobility, but also have full control of it, right? So this whole idea of, you know, flexibility training, like most people just go into yoga, but here's my thing with yoga. You, for one, if you look back to the origins of like way, way, way back of yoga, it wasn't about poses. It was about meditation, being in the present moment some dude came about and decided that we're gonna add poses within that realm. And the guy who created the poses has no anatomy background. So a lot of times you get some general population uh, person in a yoga class doing stuff that's probably making them a little bit worse. That's why you see um, the typical yogi um, pretty thin, they've been probably flexible the whole, their whole lives, or they were a general population person that was fit already with no injury history whatsoever, and they picked up yoga and they got good at it. So just like the sp specific adaptation principle, when you place a specific stress, your body adapts to it and gets good at it. So like Steve the accountant, he's good at sitting. He can stay there all day. You get someone doing yoga every single day, they get good at yoga. What are some things that they uh, also get is some sort of flexibility. But this is my whole thing is that I can get a yogi in my kin stretch class that I teach and find positions and movements that they have trouble with because they're one of those flexible people where it's kind of like a Ferrari, they have you know, the outside, the engine and everything like that, that's the Ferrari. But the moment I ask them to turn a sharp corner, they have no brakes and they just end up hitting the wall, right? They don't have full control. They have full control in Warrior 2 and Warrior 3, but you take any kind of variable out of those things, they flop over, right? So guaranteed, if I had a, like, amazing yogi in front of me and they were doing warrior three and I told them to turn their head to like the left as far as possible, their entire body would fall over. They're taught to do the pose in a certain way and hold it there and they become really efficient at it. But if you throw in a little variance, then it's kind of all over the place. So kin stretch, combining pails and rails and cars and some other stuff that I do in my class, kind of bulletproofs you in those variable positions. And the nice side effect of it is you do get more range of motion, but the range of motion that we're looking for is more active range of motion. So the difference between those two is that, you know, we have our passive range of motion and active range of motion. Say I am lay on my back. Maybe I can show it because I am on a bed. Lay on my back and I, have someone behind me and they're gonna stretch out my leg. They grab my leg and they take me here, 
right? And they're stretching me out, which is awesome. Say that person leaves, and now I need to actively lift it, and I'm here, and I'm like, well, what gives? I can go over here when someone's, you know, pushing me, um, assisting me in the stretch, but actively I can go over here. So now there's this, like, save my foot ended up here passively, and that's my active range of motion. There's this huge gap between the two that I could get if I was more actively um, flexible, if that's even a term that I just came up with. Um, Alright, so, good thing I checked because my camera just decided to stop, so I ended off with the difference between active and passive range of motion. Essentially that's what kin stretch, which is pails and rails, and cars, and some other things, will ultimately do. Now I want to wrap this up because I don't want to talk for another like 20 minutes and it's cut. So what I was talking about before it all cut out, after my you know, lying active range of motion. Um, an example of how pails and rails, rails work, I wanna make this quick. Say I'm in my 90-90 position, and I lean forward, I'm in my hip external rotation stretch. Now, in the literature, stretch receptors start turning on, waiting for information about the two minute mark. Um, at that point is when I'm gonna insert more information to those stretch receptors of what I want what I want them to do, which is give me more range of motion. How do I do that? Force, because force is the language of the cells. I do a pales contraction where I drive my knee and ankle down into the ground as hard as possible. Now I'm sending more information to all the tissues responsible for hip external rotation. After doing a pales contraction, I'm gonna do a rails contraction, which is the opposite, where I'm thinking of driving my knee and ankle off the ground, lifting it up, because it's the opposite said tissue from my hip down to my knee, kind of this whole section, right? Because again, our bodies move as one unit, it's not just one muscle going, mm, mm, whatever it is, right? Doing a bicep curl, it's influencing a lot more. It's a global effect, so if I'm trying to get better hip external rotation. I also gotta work on the tissues on the inside of the leg, right? So the more I do this, the more I influence my nervous system of going, hey, you have this information, I want more range of motion, it's eventually gonna listen to you. In a kin stretch setting or me trying to improve someone's mobility, if I did pails and rails, I've kind of unlocked a lot of um, new range of motion and I wanna solidify it by challenging it. So if I know that I did my pails and rails, and I got whatever new range of motion. Now I'm gonna do like an active range lift off where I try to lift a leg and hold it there to now solidify that, hey, every time I do this motion, this is actually my real range of, my real active range of motion. And like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat over and over and over again, eventually your nervous system's gonna go like, you know what, you've been asking me a lot. I don't have to like have that e-brake on and prevent you from moving. So here you go. Now I'm gonna end it there because I don't want this to shut off. Thank God it didn't shut off. So hopefully, you know, my explanation of control articular rotations, pails and rails, how kin stretch, uh, kin stretch influences your um, ability to gain more range of motion actively and not passively. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out hit the show notes to watch this video, um, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook and Instagram, and thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. 
You guys are awesome. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I am pumped to be speaking with you today or, you know, if you guys are watching at home, so glad to have you see me in my dwelling. As you can tell, I am not in my, like, workout space, so today is going to be more so of just a little chat, you know, you and me just hanging back and Hopefully you're listening to this as you're, you know, driving into work and about to start your week. And for all those who like literally listen to my podcast the moment I upload it, thank you because it's so interesting to see, you know, the moment I upload a new episode and an hour goes by and I go back and just like refresh to see how many listens I get and it's like 44 people already listened to my episode, like that's pretty hardcore you guys are so awesome so thank you for that support um today what we're gonna go into is the importance of joint health but before we get into that i'm gonna make a an opportunity not an opportunity make the effort to kind of um, remind everyone that my new book the ironclad body training system is taking shape quite a bit um I think I will be able to release it the first week of October, the way things are going. And, you know, if you haven't done so already, put your name down for my presale list. So if you hit the show notes of this episode, I'll have like a Google form and all you have to do is put your name and email down. And basically when my book is ready, you are going to be able to get it before anyone else. So before I even have my entire, you know, launch and pre-sale and all that the people that put their names down are going to get it first and i'm still working out the details but most likely i will have a physical copy and also the ebook version um with the physical copy we'll see how things go it might be a little bit more expensive because obviously print but you know it is what it is and it's going to be a thick book it's going to be like a textbook so get ready and even as we speak right now like i'm editing videos like tutorial videos for my book and i think i have like four more tutorials and i am like done filming and i just have a couple more things i just need to like sprinkle in and it's going to be done so if you are one of those people who bought my first book the second volume of this like think about that book but like put it on steroids like it's out of this world it's going to be amazing and there's a few surprises that i've added that i'm super excited about so stay tuned hit the show notes and um put your name down for that pre-sell list it's going to be worth it um from there we're going to chat about joint health so a lot of the posts I've been putting up has been, you know, movement related, not so much weight loss related, whatever it is. And I have this conversation a lot with people where it's like, great, you want to lose weight, you want to lose fat. Awesome. But if this vessel of your body is not able to withstand the stresses of like fat loss workouts you're not going to get really too far you know that's it's equivalent to like you 
deciding to race in a NASCAR race with a Honda Civic. You'll be able to go around the track, but you're not going to do well. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if you took the time to be like, I'm going to save up money and buy these tires. I'm going to buy this other stuff. I'm going to hire a pit crew and all this kind of crap. So you become, you know, more prepared in order to perform at something like a NASCAR race. A lot of people, especially our general population people, where they get that motivation in the beginning to go, I want to start exercising. My friend's doing this class. I hired this trainer. There's this boot camp down the street and you follow the program that they put out for everyone and you start doing it and you start noticing some aches and pains. I'm not saying that everyone's broken. What I'm saying is that most people based on the environment that we live in don't have the necessary requirements or prerequisites in order to do the exercises that I see or have seen in most fitness settings. That doesn't say that you have to stop exercise altogether because you're like, oh my God, my joints don't work. It's more so finding what exercises actually work for your joints. You know, like I seen every program, like online trainers do this all the time. It's like woman wants to build a better looking backside. So then the program has barbell hip thrusts, barbell back squats, barbell deadlifts, awesome exercises. But maybe for that, you know, woman that is 37 years old that's trying to get back into it and wants to, you know, develop a strong backside, good looking glutes, hamstrings, you name it, may not be able to get the full benefit of that exercise. So one of the things that I've been doing recently, so for those who don't know, um, I'm, I've been recently certified in the functional range assessment where it looks at you know the body on the whole of what you know capabilities do you have when it comes to movement and when we go through the fra the functional range assessment joint by joint movement by movement and it gives me a clear um kind of guideline or you know metric of where you are you may not have all the things necessary in your shoulder to do something like a back squat. And for those people who haven't been following me for a while, your shoulder has a lot to do with something like the back squat, right? So now imagine this person that I did the FRA for and I figured out that their left shoulder and right hip are like at 20% of what a shoulder and hip can do. So now you take that 20% shoulder and 20% hip and you put yourself in a back squat uh, environment where you need a shoulder and hip to be functioning at 100%. So what happens? Faulty squat patterns. And a lot of times when you know a coach or trainer sees that the back squat doesn't look good and is like, Gotta go lower, keep the chest up, just go lower. You know, take a bigger breath, like go wider at the feet. Like sometimes those things work, but most of the time you're not gonna change someone's anatomy right there and then, right? Sometimes what happens is that 
one, the person's progressed way too quickly to, to go do those things and they should be doing something else. And number two is like, no matter how much the coach yells to go lower, hips, like it could be bone on bone. They could be pinching. They like, there's so many things. And I tell this to every single person that um, decides to do an FRA, like, they will say they do a hip car, so hip controlled articular rotation at the very end of the FRA, and they feel, they literally can feel that their hip doesn't move the way it should. And then I go, okay, so out of 10, 10 being like the best hip in the world, no issues, out of 10, where are we at with your hip? And a lot of times people are like four, five, and I'm like, okay, so we're at four out of 10. Your hip is at 40%. You're asking your hip to do 100% movements. Something's gonna give eventually, right? Something's not going to be happy over time. So rather than going square peg in a round hole over and over and over again, and I always say this so many, like literally I posted today um, in the morning, a post I put out two years ago about, you know, how your body when it's like, say like perfect, this functioning at an optimal level. It's kind of like a blank canvas. And now you can start painting beautiful pictures on it. And when you finish painting, like you're gonna have this beautiful portrait. But now imagine the canvas being your body and you have that 40% hip, that 20% shoulder. And that canvas is like, there's holes and tears and stuff like that. And then you try to paint over top of it. And like, you can be like the freaking Van Gogh trying to paint over a terrible canvas. It's gonna look okay, but it's not gonna be like the best work. Like no world renowned artists could do their best work on that. And really how I look at that is kind of like the reflection of your movement quality, right? Like your blank canvas that has some holes and tears or whatever is trying to paint you know, a beautiful picture by doing a movement like a back squat, which would look amazing on a lovely blank canvas. It just doesn't happen, right? And a lot of times, like, even from a coaching perspective, when I'm, you know, mentoring other coaches under me, you know, it comes down to the shit test, right? Like, when you walk down a street and like something looks like shit, smells like shit, most likely it's shit. So you use the same rule when it comes to exercise so when you look at someone doing a movement and you're just like i don't i don't know something something was weird there something doesn't look like it should so most likely it's not good form and in that case you know like why bother pushing yourself into those positions where your body physically can't meet the demand and that's where a lot of times people injure themselves or something flares up or something sore and now they have to stay away from that exercise like that is like the worst thing is like my knee hurts when i do fucking walking lunges so i'm not going to do walking lunges anymore and then eventually that becomes now walking lunges and back squats hurt my knee so i'm not going to do those two things and that eventually turns into walking lunges back squats 
front squats, any kind of squats. Anytime I put my knee in this position, it always hurts. So I'm just gonna like stop doing lower body stuff and just focus on this instead. And then you like never address the issue. Like for some reason, when it comes to exercising, people will avoid things and not deal with it at all and do other things. And then eventually those things become things that you can't do anymore. And then eventually you become a person where it's like, I can only do hip thrust because everything else hurts. And like, it, it doesn't have to be that way, you know? And a lot of times too, like people who have these issues will tell their trainer if they have, you know, someone that they hired. And like the worst thing that I see is this client of yours expressing that X hurts or when I do this thing, it hurts, blah, 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 blah. And they're like listening and they're like, you know what? We'll no, we won't do that and we'll just do this. Whereas the conversation should be like, are you seeing a physio or Cairo massage? Like let's book you in with somebody to address the root cause. And not like, you know what, we'll just never do back squats anymore. You know what, we'll never do walking lunges anymore. Because those issues are going to pop up. And it's most likely due to that 40% hip or 20% shoulder. And if you don't do anything about those things, things are going to get worse. We all know is that as we age, joint health is like the number one thing that prevents us from doing the things we enjoy. So why wouldn't you want to place a priority on joint health? And that doesn't mean you're doing yoga. You know what I mean? Like I've utilized yogis in my training, um, especially in kin stretch, and they find it challenging. Which just goes to show like there's a lot to be done if someone's having trouble with, you know, a movement like you know, you're in a 90-90 position and you're trying to lift your leg into abduction and all you get is cramps. Like, that's kind of a big red flag because if you do a lateral lunge, that lateral hip needs to be able to function without a weird, you know, motor uh, pattern. Kind of going off the path. But the key thing here to understand is that if your joint doesn't work as a joint, you know, should then if you decide to do something like a back squat, walking lunges, bench press, whatever it is, bad shit is going to happen. And I think now people are starting to understand that, you know, maybe I need to be able to move and feel better. And that's where I've kind of been seeing um, clients in the fitness industry kind of going towards because they've kind of, you know, figured out that, and they've probably been through it so many times where they start exercising, something hurts, they go to physio, chiro, whatever, and they realize that, you know, my shoulder always does this thing when I do X, Y, and Z. So they're looking for other options. But here's the thing that uh, I find super interesting is that, you know, every joint in your body, so like your neck, your shoulder, your knees, your ankles, your hips, the nerves that surround those joints you know, they give you feedback, right? An example of this is like, say you tore your ACL, like right away, you fucking know you tore your ACL. 
there is an interesting thing when it comes to pain where say I like walk down the hall and like bump my forearm onto a table like I'm like oh that like hurts and essentially what happens when that you know external force hits my forearm to cause pain you know that signal is sent to a spinal cord it goes up to my brain the brain decides what to do but for some interesting reason when we tear a rotator cuff right into our shoulder that pain signal does not go to our spinal cord first it bypasses that and goes straight to the brain and it's a quicker response so now we have all these joints that are kind of placed in a hierarchy or like an organizational pattern of a system and this is exactly what like the frs company that you know has kin stretch frc fr release and fra talk about like this system you know we're like the joke that dr andrew spina says like we're just like the nervous system and meat and the nervous system dictates what the meat can do so if our joints that are directly related to our nervous system right to the brain then it would make sense that we should make sure that these joints are optimally you know moving grooving the way they should because they have a huge influence on what the rest of our body can do so if the joint doesn't have the health or integrity it needs to have then what chance does the rest of your muscles have to perform something like the back squat probably very very small and when i put someone through the fra and they can actively feel that their hips their t-spine their shoulders their neck don't move the way they should and it feels like a grind it feels you know like a challenge like a lot of work and people will say things like holy crap that felt like a workout and i'm like yeah and you are going to this boot camp class or crossfit or whatever it is and you're constantly throwing your body into movement positions where you may not be ready for now what i want people to understand is that you shouldn't just stop exercising a lot of those movements can be scaled back and then find that variation where you know you could do very very well in so i know that if i get somebody i'm not going to fix your joints like that most of the time i don't have enough time to do something like that because tissue turnover takes a long long time to you know make it happen right like if i had someone doing kin stretch with me twice a week um you know in six months that's where we could see a lot of change but um knowing that i have to make you know the decision that you know the person also wants to lose weight and move and feel better so i need to find exercises that can fill those holes fill those gaps and you know i always kind of rack on like rag on um the back squat bench press deadlift because those are the ones that you always see all the fucking time right so another thing i wanted to bring up is like you know people doing hip thrusts awesome exercise but again do you have the requirements to do that most likely not 
Most people have low back pain. Most people have a desk job. Most people have tight hips. So you're telling me, let's place a barbell with like, I don't know, 95 pounds to 150 pounds to 200 pounds, and now thrust your hips up into hip extension in order to activate your glutes. Do you really think a person that has shitty hip mobility, that sits all day, that has, you know, minimal amount of movement already has the capabilities in order to drive that weight up and activate their glutes at a maximal load? Probably not. Probably not. Is there other ways to develop those glutes to get to the hip thrust? Right? So a lot of times it's like you get that person that wants to have a better backside. You do the assessment and you're like, yep. So every time you extend your hip, your low back goes. Every time you extend your hip, your hamstrings cramp. So why not learn how to do a glute bridge first? Let's get really good at glute bridges. So now I designed this program for a person where after four weeks, their glute bridge looks amazing. They're getting their glutes engaged. They feel it. They're moving better. They're feeling better. Their low back's not hurting. It's like, okay, let's like progress it. Let's just do like a hip thrust with your shoulders on the bench body weight. Let's keep going. Now you're doing that for four weeks. All good. Let's put a freaking sandbag on your hips. Let's go single leg. Let's now try the barbell, but not off a bench. Let's just do a barbell glute bridge. Like those are the steps that people need to take, right? As a person that's exercising, if you're in a class setting, and you see the program or whatever the coach decides for you to do, you should ask like, is there an easier version? Because the answer is yes, there is always an easier version. Like if someone wanted to back squat and they had zero business being there, let's maybe goblet squat because usually that's the safer option. People can usually do a pretty decent goblet squat. And at what point um, do you like progress? Like. As you see that they are moving better and they can maintain a neutral spine and the knees track over to the toes and all that bullshit that people say that you should be doing when you squat, then it's like, let's just go heavier. You know, like, even for myself, like, I still goblet squat. Like, you know what's really challenging is if you decide to goblet squat with a 100-pound dumbbell, like, that's fucking hard. I 100% would say that's a lot harder to do than a back squat with 135 with shitty form, right? Like get more for what your workout is. A lot of us have not enough time in the week to fit in three hours a week of workouts. So if I'm gonna do a barbell back squat with 135 that I can only do quarter squats because my body is not able to do that movement, and I'm just, you know, burning X amount of calories because I'm not getting enough muscle activation compared to like, I'm putting a hundred pound dumbbell in front here and I'm utilizing my entire core in order not to like drop forward and then I'm squatting and I get a better depth, I have better muscle activation. Like that's more bang for my buck. Like why wouldn't I wanna do that? That's the same thing that I do with my clients is like, I do a really thorough assessment. I know where you're at. So now let's utilize those exercises with, what you have found in the assessment. So then you get the most bang for your buck, right? Like I have never had a client in my career where they had to take off time because they were injured. You know what I mean? Like now imagine, and I've brought this up on my show so many times that if you were able to have more time in the gym per year, you'd want that. 
if you were able to train effectively more per year and continually progress yourself, you'd kind of want that approach compared to like, I'm going to try my best to pick up whatever fitness class and then hope for the best. And if something hurts, I'll just stop, right? Like I've never had that situation where someone had to stop. Again, like I work with a lot more, you know, so-called broken people sometimes they have flare-ups and they need to take that time off but then we get to a certain point where they start showing up a little bit more they get that consistency their rehabs in place or seeing treatment whatever it is and things start coming together but for the most part general population people they need to follow the right amount of um exercises that you know, their body's able to do. And a lot of times they just don't know, right? Like, this is why I believe that people need to hire a credible trainer to give them those options because it's going to be really hard for you to figure that shit out on your own. And, you know, like, even investing just like your local trainer that you've researched to do a thorough assessment and give you ideas of what you should and shouldn't do. Like every trainer should be able to do that, but not a lot are, which is the sad thing. But essentially what I would love to see is like someone doing an assessment and the trainer going, here's all the exercises you should be doing. These are the ones you should stay away from right now. And here's options down the road if you decide to hire me or here's some homework things, things like that. Like those are the services that people need, you know, like I know a lot of people want to be independent while training, but you still need some help on the way. It's kind of like if I decided to do my own plumbing, like sure, I can go on YouTube and read articles and go on Reddit and all that bullshit. But eventually like, I'm going to end up spending more time like failing and eventually just hiring someone to do it because down the road, a pipe is going to burst and I'll be like, well, fuck, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to just hire somebody and I would save a lot of time. Long story short, joint health and integrity should be your number one priority, then consistency, then your patient, then you'll see success. This is how I relate everything to fat loss because joint health trumps all if you don't have joint health you'll end up doing that yo-yo up and down cycle throughout the entire year where you're training consistently you have to stop training consistently then you have to stop so really really think about that um if you need more help with this kind of stuff like kin stretch is where it's at um i would highly recommend you reach out to me to kind of get an idea I literally have people that reach out to me to see if they can do an fra or an assessment online you know, through Zoom, more than happy to do that with you to kind of give you some ideas. It's pretty interesting how people reach out for that because now Zoom is like such a normal thing. And, you know, I want to help people move and feel better. So just think about it. Joint health overall, over everything. Seriously, if you don't have joint health and you don't have movement. Um, that's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the support. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. Add me on Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel because I've been posting a lot of videos. So keep up to date. That's it for me, you guys. Until next time. What's up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Majuszewski. And it's been a while since I posted a new video, vlog, podcast, whatever you want to call it, because um, I've been off 
for a week and I still have like two more days off from work and the hustle and all that and uh, it got me thinking on my trip of what I should you know come back to and I have like a lot of ideas and things that I want to you know bring up in this uh, podcast episode and one of them is actually like taking time off of training so there is this whole thing called overtraining and I have experienced that many times and I physically had to learn the hard way um, to get through it and a lot of it was injury, pulling things, getting sore in areas where you're not supposed to and it's kind of like our body's natural way of like, you know, telling us to slow down and this only happens when you get to like a certain point of um, training like training frequency and you know I'm trying to think the last time where I kind of felt overtrained and it was probably at least five months ago and literally was like and I think a lot of people have this experience too where you know when in the clinic setting especially is like when people come into the clinic and they're like oh i've like pulled my back and then you know we ask like well what happened they're like i bent over to grab my kid and my entire back went out and you know that's not overtraining, but it kind of is and let me explain why so the definition of overtraining is like say you're training like seven days a week you haven't taken a break Every workout, you're literally trying to, like, increase your weights, you know, try to run a little bit further or faster or go longer on your bike because it's summer and it's nice out or whatever it is. And you're not actually giving your body enough time to actually recover. And a lot of those people, like those gym goers or even trainers that literally train every single day and it's just part of their life and you realize that you go an entire year of training nonstop and something will go that will stop you and for me it's like I usually like pull something in my back my shoulder starts hurting for random reasons or I get really 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 tired and feel like absolute shit so now, and then on top of that, if someone is, you know, training for long periods of time and they have a super stressful job, like double whammy, like you're not going to last. So I would say this last two years, I've been paying attention to my volume personally, like very closely. And I've kind of found a sweet spot for at least myself. And this doesn't, you know, um, mean that it works for everybody. But honestly, I used to do the whole, like, I'm going to get four to five um, strength workouts a week that are like a full hour. I'm going to do like some sprint intervals on my off days. I'm going to do some mobility training and what have not, or what have you, whatever that fucking saying is. But, um, and I would always get to a point where I'm constantly pushing myself and then something would go and it started happening pretty often, like probably at least four times a year. And I'm like, okay, don't like this. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of used to the whole idea of constantly, you know, training every single day. And how can I implement that, you know, routine in my life um, where I don't get injured? So I had 
um, created this new routine ever since COVID happened where, especially in the beginning when COVID kind of shut everything down, um, I was in a position where I was working like non-fucking-stop to ensure that my business would survive, like my brick-and-motor business of the gym and uh, the clinic. So I was spending a lot of time on my computer changing everything online and just going to the facility every single day and like it was like non-stop and I was like okay well I don't have full hours so I started doing like 20 to 30 minute workouts and I was like you know what I'm gonna like switch to like kettlebell stuff because like if I can't do it at work like it will come home or like before work starts let's get a quick like kettlebell workout in and sometimes like the kettlebell workouts and honestly today this is what I'm gonna do is like okay I'm pressed for time I'm gonna do a 10 minute warm up that includes my soft tissue, whatever it is, and I'm just gonna do 100 swings. And whatever I need to do to get to 100 swings is what I'm gonna do. So I'll like grab my 24 kilo kettlebell, do 10 swings, rest a little bit, 10 swings, rest a little bit, repeat that 10 times, boom, done. Right, and that worked really well for me. And I started doing that and I was like, you know what, I feel pretty good. Like, you know, sometimes when you get those workouts in and you're like, okay, full hour, I have to do all this stuff. And by the end of it, you're actually more tired than you were going in and you're like, fuck. And then, you know, things build up over time and you actually don't feel that great. And when I started doing these shorter workouts, uh, I kind of found a rhythm to it. And I was like, okay, like I feel pretty good doing, you know, five, four to five kettlebell workouts a week, doing my kin stretch. That's like 40 to 45 minutes. And it was pretty good. And I was like, okay, well, now that I kind of have this as a habit and routine, I can do other things during the day that can, um, you know, keep me active and things like that. And a thing I started doing is um, even during like the winter months, I really enjoyed like first thing in the morning, taking my dog out for a walk. without my phone and everything like that, just to kind of clear my head, get some ideas for projects, um, kind of like work out problems that I may be facing in my business, how I can, you know, contribute differently in relationships or whatever it is, you know, like a lot of good thoughts and ideas and problem solving because this day and age we have like no time to be with our own thoughts and like think about stuff. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest issues we face right now is because we don't have time. Like, ask yourself, when was the last time you had, like, one minute where you're not looking at your phone? You don't have something playing in front of you when you're not stimulated whatsoever, and you're just, like, in your head thinking about stuff. Like, probably hasn't happened in a very, very, very long time. So, um yeah, so I ended up getting into um, a habit of, like, walking, like, three kilometers every single day with my dog. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, pretty good. Like, getting, like, a 30-minute walk with my dog every single day. And then the other nice thing was, like, I have a spin bike at home. And, you know, if I need to throw in, like, an extra 20 minutes on the spin bike, I can do intervals I can do a recovery thing and that's kind of been my routine so like literally my week consists of like um four 20 to 30 minute workouts with a kettlebell or like literally like one of my days is because like you know I, I like deadlifting ever since I posted maybe again five months ago 
um, just to see because I haven't deadlifted for ever. Um, uh, me video. Uh, I had a video I posted, yeah, five months ago of the trap bar deadlift, and I did 285, I think, for a couple reps, and I was like, oh, like, you know, I haven't deadlifted in two years. That's a pretty good strength to you know, hold on to, and all I've been doing is, like, 20 to 30-minute workouts and walking. Um, so I was like, you know what? It would be kind of cool to get back into deadlifting, and the last 12 weeks, I literally have one day a week where... I just do the trap bar deadlift. I literally do like six sets of two or three reps and I, you know, have my percentages for it and do my warm up and it's like a 20 minute workout and that's it. Um, and then I do two can stretch workouts for myself and then that's it. Like that, that has been working for me. So with overtraining, when I used to do that a lot, uh, my body would physically tell me to stop and things like pulling my back would happen and it's like my body's way of telling me like you need to slow down and if you don't slow down i'm going to physically force you to slow down and that is like literally the worst feeling because it's like you have this small little like tweak and you're like the rest of my body feels good but i physically can't do what i used to do because of this stupid little thing and you know when it comes to just patients coming in like I was mentioning earlier about you know oh I reached down to go grab something and um you know I pulled my back and you know it isn't a case kind of like overtraining but um it's just that the stress that their body's able to take is very low that threshold's really 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 low so any repetitive motion bending over that threshold lower so they go do that and their body gives out and they're like f you so kind of similar to overtraining right your thresh you reach your threshold of how much volume of training and stress you can take and your body tells you to like well, i'm gonna tell you to stop um so overtraining is something that you know I haven't spoke about it in a long time, but it's it's there. So anytime there are signs of overtraining, which is like if you find yourself getting like tired a lot more, like in the middle of the day, you're just like, I'm not usually tired at this time, or like you know, it. You wake up and at by 10 a.m. you're like, fuck, I could go to sleep right now. And like sometimes this has happened to me where, you know, I've pushed myself to limit in the gym nonstop high stress environment at work whatever it is and then you know you get home early one day and you're like you know i'm just gonna lie down just like just chill and then you end up just falling asleep out of nowhere and you're like wow my body really needs this and that's that's another thing it's like say on the weekend you have the op rare opportunity to like just chill and do nothing and you find yourself falling asleep in the middle of the day and you're like i need this my my body's just tired um you can also see a change in um hunger so when i get to the verge of overtraining i'm hungry all the fucking time i'm like okay i need to slow down my body is not happy with this um and then even like in your workouts your strength declines right so one of the reasons why i added um my trap bar deadlift is like you know say i'm doing 70 percent of my max i've always done six sets of fucking four reps whatever it is and, you know, I start, you know, my first set, I'm like, oh, man, this feels really heavy where, you know, 
two weeks ago this was nothing so like even those little things of like you feeling you can't push yourself or like you know say you're doing a spin class and you know you're on your peloton and you do the same uh workout every week and you find yourself at one point feeling like oh this this workout really kicked my ass for some reason like that's another sign of overtraining or say you're doing your run you're doing the same i don't know five kilometer loop around your neighborhood and you're like man i like kicked my ass and i was like six minutes slower than i usually am like another sign of overtraining like these are the things you need to look at and the nice thing is like you like i physically will plan my time off of the gym and sometimes that's what you need right because if you really think about it like every time you work out you're placing a stress on your body and you're hoping that you know your sleep is good your nutrition is good you're able to take on all the stresses of life and recover from it and on top of that recover from a workout in order to get stronger and adapt and sometimes we just can't recover as fast and you accumulate all this stress over time and then your body's like no so sometimes plan breaks is a good thing like you know guaranteed when i get back into the gym this week and like actually start pushing like going back to my deadlift like I remember uh, last week when I finished my last deadlift um, um, workout like I was at my heaviest I think I was at probably like 85% of my max and like by that last set I was like wow I'm fucking tired and done like that's enough Um, yeah like getting to that point and then having this week off going back into the gym this week it's probably going to be freaking killer like i'll have a lot of stored energy that i can just burn off and you know i've been eating more than i usually am and that's gonna help me kind of push into my next set of workouts which i'm super excited about um but a lot of people who don't plan breaks when they train non-stop you're going to be forced right so you're better off like you know looking at your year and again this one of the things that I've learned in my career is like plan your entire year out like not only your training but also like other aspects of your life and I always do this with uh, my employees my contractors whoever it is to learn to you know crush goals throughout the year so I kind of have these like five categories and I'm going to be all over this uh, podcast episode by the way because I have like a lot of ideas so anyway um, every October I plan my entire year like coming up and I have these five categories one it's um, physical goals um, personal goals <laughs> professional goals financial goals and spiritual goals and then within those five I'll have like three main ones that I want to hit for the year and in there as I plan the out, out the year like throughout the year I'll have like about two weeks where I'll take time off of training completely and like that can be as like okay my only exercise activity and exercise is like walking the dog foam rolling doing like my daily cars in the morning whatever it is and that's all i need and then when i go back to the gym and i'm like lifting heavy weights boom amazing and again like people getting worried about like oh i'm gonna lose all my you know gains i'm gonna like gain a lot of weight and everything it's like one week out of the entire year of you being consistent like at no time ever on the history of this planet someone exercising for a week made them leaner and made them 
lose a bunch of weight like that never happens so it won't happen in the reverse where if you don't train for a week and you're consistent all year round you're not going to gain like 10 pounds and you're not going to lose all your strength like that's physically impossible if you did that for a month yeah hell yeah you're going to lose quite a bit of strength and gain weight if you're inactive but a week is not going to do any damage um so that being said like something to think about when it comes to your training like plan breaks and if you're planning an entire year like you know if you know that in the summer you're going to go away for camping or whatever it is or you're going to go visit a city and you know now that travel's going to be coming back like you can plan those things right like for me the next like time off of um, training is going to be when I go to Disneyland in November but again like my activity is going to be walking all the fucking time and might not sound like a lot but you know last time when i went to disney like we were there from open till close so literally either at 7 a.m or 8 a.m until fucking midnight walking non-stop and you know i think we averaged about 10 kilometers every single day walking like that's quite a bit and i wouldn't have the time or energy to get any other training in so that's kind of like my time off from training and when I came back same thing I was like oh fuck yeah I feel good um so overtraining one thing the other thing I wanted to bring up is like people that are not training consistently every single day of the week and they're like you know the two to three times um a week of weight training whatever it is and then you take time off Again, it's not going to kill you to take that time off, but you kind of want to stay active. Like you don't want to just, you know, sit around and drink and eat nonstop. You want to find something active. So if you're on a trip somewhere, like, I don't know, you go to fucking Hawaii, like go for a hike, like go do something, go swimming, go whatever, just stay active. Try not to, you know, fall into that whole idea of like oh, I'm just gonna sit my ass on the beach and drink nonstop like move a little bit move like even if it's like you're at a resort in Mexico and you wake up early for some reason because you're still on freaking your time to wake up uh, for work like walk around the resort a couple times go grab a cup of coffee and then boom whenever it's time to drink start drinking whatever who cares but um you know, it takes time to like train on vacation. Um, it took me a long time to kind of get there, but I think it's like as my, I guess, career kind of fell in line a little bit easier for myself and I was in full control of my schedule. When it came to vacation time, I was like, yeah, I should get a workout in or two. Um, but again, it took a long time and everyone's a little bit different, but that's a whole nother story. Um, the other topic I wanted to get into is, um, and I brought this up once, I believe, um, on my show where I talked about like, uh, the power of Kim stretch and, you know, ever since I got my functional range assessment certification, um, I've been having a lot of people reach out to me online in person to get that done and start doing kin stretch because the last I guess year I've been posting a lot about you know true mobility training true flexibility and learning what that actually means and how to maintain long-lasting 
joint health and long lasting flexibility. And, you know, I think it was back in October where I did my first, like, what is Kim stretch video. And maybe I'll link that in uh, the show notes if you wanted to watch it. Um, so the big thing that I've been seeing is that people want to move and feel better more than anything right now. You know, like before I was always getting a lot of people where they're like, oh, I just want to like lose weight and like I just want to start training and lifting heavy and whatever it is. And that's all great and good. But like sometimes you just you need to focus and prioritize your mobility and joint health. And I think more than ever right now, people are just broken. People are sore. People are stiff from sitting all day, especially since COVID started with everyone working from home. People don't have, you know, proper setups for their desks. People are working out of their beds for like three hours until moving onto the couch because like they don't even have an office space or whatever it was, or like maybe they did have an office space before, but then they had kids and a dog and like fucking iguana in the corner or whatever it is, a fish tank, um, and kind of just took over your space. And, you know, you're literally kind of all over the place when it comes to, um, for work, but um, I think the big thing now that I see in this industry is people want their joints to feel better because they have figured out that if I can't move my shoulder like this without pain, why am I going to the gym and like doing an upper body workout and things hurting and I have to stop and I can only do, you know, lower body. It's not the best. So when people go through the FRA, which is an abbreviation for the functional range assessment with me, people start asking a lot of questions like, okay, with all this information, like, what do you do with it? Like, how does a kin stretch workout and work and differ from like yoga and any other stretching routine? And really, like, I look at it as the gold standard, like everything that the FRC, FRS, kin stretch, whatever it certification I want to bring up within that uh, company, um, the creator, Dr. Andrew Spina, has literally went through all the literature and research on rehab, um, joint health, recovery, post-op, whatever it is, and organized into a system better than anyone else. And at its core, you know, when you look at what a muscle cell does in your body, um, essentially, um, in a kin stretch setting, FRC setting, FR setting, whatever it is, you want to influence your tissue to become more resilient. And how you do that is by sending external inputs into uh, the cellular level. So me doing a pails and rails contraction or a hover or an isometric contraction or whatever thing that... I decide to do in my kin stretch class, for example, um, communicates at a cellular level. So I send an isometric contraction through my hip because I need more hip external rotation. I send the signal to um, the cells responsible for stuff in the hip and they get that information. And I've built an opportunity for myself to lay down more resilient tissue. And this is how I kind of explain it to anyone new to um, kin stretch that um, 
every day we have a new set of muscle cells waiting for information from you. So we have a couple options. We can wake up, have that opportunity, decide to go sit in our car for an hour, drive to our office, sit down for um, eight hours, and then go back into our car and fight off traffic for another hour and sit down and then go to our dinner table, sit for an hour, and then go onto the couch and sit for a couple hours watching whatever show, you know, Loki, um, which is amazing, by the way, um, and then go back to sleep. So that entire day, we've been influencing at a cellular level that, hey, all you need to do is be really efficient at keeping me uh, in a seated position. And your muscle cells go, okay, let's lay down some uh, tissue and kind of neurological and mechanical tightness to keep you there. Or I can get into a 90-90 position with my hips, influence at a cellular level to stay loose and more limber, whatever term you want to use, and then challenge that new acquired range by doing active range liftoffs, hovers, um, any other implement you can think of from that whole FRS system. And that's how you literally will keep new acquired range like you have an opportunity every single day to influence um your tissue quality right so you know that lame saying if you don't use it you lose it holds very 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 true and like everybody understands that yeah when i don't exercise and move everything feels stiff and tight it's like yeah like when i go to a conference for three days and i sit in a conference hall and then go on an airplane and come back home like holy fuck my hips and low back are super tight and I like just need to foam roll for like two hours or get a massage like yeah that makes sense right so rather than doing that I can do kin stretch for 45 minutes and that's 45 minutes of influence at a very high rate um, where I can you know gain more mobility and keep it and kind of the difference too, when people ask, well, what's the difference with yoga? Yoga, you get flexible in a linear path. So say I am doing warrior two and I do warrior two the same every single class, I get really efficient at warrior two. But say with my arms being out and I wanna rotate this way, I'm not allowed to do that because that's not how a warrior two looks like. So kin stretch will make you mobile and strong in multiple different planes of motion. Like I want more hip external rotation, but I can achieve that in like a hundred different ways depending on how I position my body, right? And then on top of that, getting into a stretch position for hip external rotation, I can add um, an active component. A lot of yoga is very passive if you're holding a pose for X amount of time and then you move on. I'm not bashing yoga, it's a different um, training mechanism, but when it comes to um, protecting you from injury, kin stretch and its principles is your best bet. So an example is say I had a baseball pitcher and they tore their rotator cuff 
in a shoulder abducted position with external rotation, it's in my best interest to get that athlete, patient, in the position that they got injured in and make them as strong as fucking possible in there. So, you know, say they tore the rotator cuff and their, you know, active range is like far back there. Because when you see baseball pitchers, like they can externally rotate their shoulder like no tomorrow. So say their range is here. Now I've got to get them back to where they were. So now I need to get them stronger in all these positions until they get back to this position here of where they can actually throw. So that's one example. Another example is say you have, and I use this all the time explaining kin stretch, say you have someone that's a soccer player and they're on the field, but it rained the night before and game's first thing in the morning and the grass is super wet and you're playing the game and you go to cut and your whole foot slides on the grass because it's super wet and you pull a groin. But how do I prevent something like that? Say I get someone into a split-like position laterally because that's how they pull their groin as far as possible and train them in that position with pails and rails, active range liftoffs, hovers, whatever it is. So now when the next time they go into that environment where they slide onto the grass, but I've you know put them in that position before and I've trained in those ranges, most likely they're not gonna pull anything. They might get like a little twinge, but they're gonna be like, oh, I'm good to go, right? So essentially what we're doing is creating more of a threshold in your tissues at their end ranges because that's where an injury happens right like you don't ever injure your neck doing this it's going to be here at one point and then like going too far right so if you look at a definition of what an injury is is when an enough of an external force enters the tissue and the tissue can't handle that external force and then something breaks right so you know me doing this to my arm won't break the bones in my forearm because the force like i'm used to that amount of force but say you drop a fucking boulder on my thing like maybe it won't break but i might fracture it or you know puncture my skin whatever it is right but same thing like if i wanted to you know say if i was a nfl lineman or d-end and you know one of the things that can happen on the outside of the play is like grabbing another player to bring him down and my like the motion is this so like from an frs perspective i should take this football player in a position where they would get into this and you know if they have a fucking running back going this way and i don't want my entire arm to like explode off i could literally get into a wall or like put a ball against a pillar and hold and ice and actually contract in all these different positions as hard as possible to ensure that when that load happens that force as i'm coming through my arm's okay right so like you're literally bulletproofing your body for any kind of external load that may happen and this is the beauty of kin stretch is that there's so many variable movements that our body does and because we're all one unit we can play along with that anatomy and become more resilient so that's kind of a long-winded answer of like what i explain to people because when i do a 
elevator pitch it's like it's stretching on steroids but really what it is it's like you're bulletproofing your body for anything and i think now a lot of people want to feel better rather than like i want to get as strong as possible and lose weight right like those are the byproducts of you know training properly but um I think now a lot of people just want to move and feel better from what I've been seeing, what I've been hearing. So I think I'm going to end it there because you know I have a lot that I can talk about and we're already at 33 minutes and I think people, you know, toleration for long videos is kind of around this point in time, but um, thanks for watching, thanks for listening. Uh, hit the show notes, add me on Facebook, add me on Instagram, and give me a five-star review on my podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, whatever it is, um, make sure you leave a review. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You guys have been listening again, so thank you. So hit the show notes and subscribe to my YouTube channel so you get a notification anytime I uh, upload something new. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much, you guys. This is amazing that, you know, this podcast has been going on this long. I think I'm coming up to my five-year anniversary for this podcast, which is super cool. Um, You guys are amazing. Thank you for the support. Until next time.